Hey everyone, I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's football podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. And since the biggest women's football tournament is coming up, what a better way to start than with the 2023 World Cup. We'll be kicking off our podcast covering all aspects of the tournament, pestering each other with our different viewpoints, taking any questions you have, and sharing our most controversial takes. So here are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be covering an overview of the 2023 Women's World Cup, including the tournament structure, the location, and a group breakdown. Move your feet. This is Magged. Hello, hello, everybody. Since this is our first episode, we thought we should dive a little more into who we are and why we're doing this. And since it's way more fun to talk about other people rather than yourself, we're going to introduce each other. So I'll start with Sid. Sydney Cummings is a professional footballer currently playing for Western United FC in Australia. She played collegiately at Brown University in Georgetown, where she went on to win countless individual accolades. The list is simply too long to recount here. After being drafted to the NWSL side Racing Louisville, Sid enjoyed a stint at San Diego Wave. She is a formidable defender, gives rousing pre-match speeches, and above all, is my best friend. Abby Carcio currently plays in France for St. Etienne. She's also spent time playing professionally in Lithuania, where she featured in the Champions League and in the First Division in Iceland. In college, she played at Brown University with me, where she captained the side that won the first Ivy League championship in 25 years with her infamous green cleats. She's a nuisance of a midfielder, one of the most technical players I know, and a fabulous friend, who actually is the brains behind this podcast. Abs, what made you want to dive into this? Well, first and foremost, I just love talking about football with with my bestie. Um, And I think one of the biggest motivators for me to start this thing um, was really watching the women's Euros last summer. And I saw how impactful video and, and audio marketing was, um, it really inspired a nation. And so as the game continues to grow, I think it's really important that we increase the volume um, of things like podcasts. As the entertainment sector grows within our game, I think, you know, we just have to have more people talking about the game. So that's kind of the inspiration behind the podcast. And I feel like it's funny, all we really do is talk about football constantly I mean ever since we were teammates at Brown whether it was talking about our own games or then when you went on after you graduated to play and I was still at Brown and then I went to Georgetown like we would still talk about your games my games like we've literally just been doing this for years so I feel like this is just us talking to each other naturally on the phone <laughs> absolutely absolutely we we spent several hours on the bus rides home talking about football so oh my this, God, is, yeah. this is a walk in the park for us yeah, and and so that's what led us to Megged. Obviously, everyone who's played at any level knows the shame or the joy that comes with a Meg. For those who don't know, a Meg is short for a nutmeg, which is a term coined for when a player just kicks the ball through another player's legs. It's humiliating, but also a bit savage if you're the one doing it. And our host, Abby, here was the queen of Megs leading up to college. Tried to throw a cheeky one in here and there at Brown, but our lovely coach put an end to that pretty quickly. 
I, on the other hand, never, never cared at all about getting megged. If the player doesn't get the ball after, is it truly a meg? I don't think so. The defender in me says no, but Abby might disagree. And so we felt like Meg speaks to the joy of the game, touches every level, whether that's rec or professional, and describes the difference in our personalities as well. I couldn't care, but Abby's an attacking-minded player, loves a good move, especially a Meg, and I love to put an end to all of that crap. And so Meg was born. And there's no better way to start than with the biggest football tournament in the world, the 2023 Women's World Cup. Okay, so the Women's World Cup is happening in Australia and New Zealand. They are co-hosting, and group stages begin July 20th, and it runs through August 20th. So this is happening in the winter time for Australia and New Zealand. Definitely strategic, I think. Yeah, I mean, you're living in Australia right now, so I think you can give us an insight to, to what the weather is like now and, and what you project it to be in the winter. Yeah, so it is midsummer here right now, and it depends where you're at. I'm in Melbourne, um, but I've been playing in Canberra, Sydney, Brisbane. Like it is hot depending on where you are. Um, and so I think that it's definitely smart. Like we've been playing games where we have two water breaks in each half. It's so hot. And I just think that's terrible for the game. It disrupts rhythm. It can really just like ruin the beauty of it. Like if you're playing in temperatures that hot, postpone the game. Yeah, totally. And we saw that in the Tokyo Olympics and even the Men's World Cup in Qatar. Um, players were exhausted. And I think the fact that FIFA didn't extend the the roster size to 26 from 23 makes it even easier for us to say how great of a decision it was to play in a in a country where it's actually winter um you don't have that you know arduous factor of of heat to deal with yeah i mean i definitely think it makes a difference and i think the beauty of it as well is like depending on where you are in australia the weather is different so even though it's winter obviously it's not going to really be snowing where they're kicking off and, and where they're playing games so i mean i think the temperature will probably be very nice very cool like literally what everyone talks about as perfect soccer weather yeah i think that's something that's a huge pro of hosting um in australia and new zealand but what do you think about the the timing because obviously with the men's world cup um they shifted it towards November and that was very weird for players to be playing like in the middle of their season. So um, what do you think about this, these dates? Like for me, I know my season ends in France in um, basically the first of June. So it's perfect timing for those of us who play on that schedule. But um, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's good for consistency. Like when we went to the 2019 world cup in France, um, it was summer um, I think it was early July, though, when we went and we went for the semis and the finals. So it's definitely pushed back. I think depending on your league, like you said, it makes a difference on how you feel about the dates. So here in the A-League in Australia, they love it. Like we end in May. So this is like great time to like get in with your national teams and you're coming off of really good shape. Whereas a league like the NWSL, people are going to be missing their star players throughout the middle of the season. Obviously there's a little bit of a break, 
Um, but it's just not the same. Like you're going to have certain teams having to deal with and bring in national team replacements um, because you just can't continue on without filling those roster spots. So I think it depends where you play. Ultimately, I feel like staying consistent is really good for the game. So keeping these dates, which is pretty close to to the last World Cup, I personally think is good. Um, but I think that there are probably some leagues that would have benefited more from doing something, whether that's a break or whatever the case may be. I think the NWSL is going to struggle with its key players missing, but it provides a really great opportunity for some players to get minutes, which has its benefits. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I think there are pros and cons, obviously, um, but I do think it hurts domestic leagues that are still playing. Um, as you said, just missing those players, you, you have, a, I mean, in my opinion, a drop a drop in in level a little bit. So that's difficult, but I think you'll have players in form coming from the NWSL. So um, all those internationals will be played in. And then those that stop in in June, so France, Italy, um, those types of of leagues, they'll probably go to their camps right after their leagues finish, a little little bit of a break, and then they'll go in. So I think for for the tournament itself, it's really good. You're going to have players that are played in, match fit, ready to go but it might take a little bit of a hit for for those domestic leagues. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. But, I mean, we're also seeing a split between Australia and New Zealand um, co-hosting, which, again, I've also been to New Zealand. I've, I played at the stadium that the U.S. national team and the New Zealand national team just played at, beautiful stadium. Um, but what are your thoughts there on splitting it? Obviously, we'll see that in the future with um, the, the bid with, the North America with Canada, the U S and Mexico. Um, but what are your thoughts right now dealing with that for this world cup? Yeah, I think it's a super interesting split. I think you have two countries, very beautiful, of course, but they have very different soccer demographics. I mean, New Zealand's obviously smaller. Um, and so what my mind goes to right away is just stadium sizes. I think one of the big stories that came out recently was the Australian opening match, um, the stadium was changed from a 45,000 capacity to an 83,000 capacity stadium, which is nearly 2x. Um, it's a 2x change, positively increasing. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know, when I saw that, I was pretty frustrated because you saw the Euros and you have sellouts at Wembley, these stadiums that are 83,000 plus, Wembley, Old Trafford, you have these sellouts. You also look at Barcelona, who sold out Camp Nou. So I don't know if I was organizing this thing, um, not to take shots, but if I was organizing this thing, I would kind of look at the the past year and say, hey, maybe we should start with an 83,000 capacity stadium. Um, but I think that's also a trap. Uh, and I'm curious what you think, Sid, about this is like, should we only put these women in stadiums when the demand is there? Or do we need to proactively market and, and place them in these huge men's stadiums and, and just push the marketing to the point where we're selling them out? Um, yeah, I don't know if you, you're following that that question, but essentially, should we just be throwing them in these these men's stadiums or should we be kind of keeping them capped at, at 40,000? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is just simple supply and demand, like more people wanted tickets than what was available. And so you cannot grow the women's game if you are limiting them to a stadium of 45,000, let's say, when people want more. 
Like the whole thing that we're talking about with women's soccer is so much around visibility. And so putting them in a stadium two times the size when there is a demand for it is so important. But I think like this is what happens in the women's game. Like women are constantly lowballed. Like I don't know if they thought, hey, they're not going to need a stadium that big. Let's just put them in this one. And then we're happily surprised when demand was really high. But yeah, I think they're short-siding the women's game. Like if you are going to host... I feel like you should put them in big stadiums. Like you said, we just saw records being broken. Like people are getting behind the women's game. People will be coming to watch. So there's that. But also I just think like you would never contemplate this for the men's tournament ever. So like, why are we even thinking about it for the women's tournament? Like why not just put them in the proper stadium, do the proper marketing for it. So if the demand wasn't there, which just to reiterate, it is, but if it wasn't there, yeah, you totally. build that demand with marketing, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you just said that perfectly. I, I just, it's a constant. I feel like we we take two steps forward, and then when there's another tournament, they're always like scared to continue on the trend that that happened in the in the past year. So that was a bit frustrating. But I'm really happy that they moved. Um, I think the pick is interesting because Australia and New Zealand aren't notorious for like supporting women's football I think it's growing and obviously you're there so you can or you're there in Australia so you can give a little bit more of an insight but if you look at the the games that just happened with the U.S. and New Zealand um I think it it might have been a record attendance and it was like 12,000 fans um which is amazing for New Zealand but I'm curious if having it in in a smaller country and someone that's or a country that's not really um I don't know women's football central is is it, is it limiting to have it in one of those countries or is it beneficial to that country? Because you saw in, in the 2017 women's Euros in the Netherlands, you know, a really small country, a country that's um, big on their men's football, but not really developed in their women's football. And you saw that tournament really revolutionize the country. Um, now they have some of the best fans in the world. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm curious on your take regarding that. I, I have my opinions, but um, what's what's your thoughts on having it in a smaller country and then country more countries more broadly that aren't really football centric. Yeah. So I'll start with New Zealand. I think it's great to grow the game there. Obviously we've seen them. They they were featured in one of the most recent she believes cups. Um, and so I do think it's important to continue pumping visibility into that country. Like I said, I played in that stadium in Wellington where they just versed uh, the U S national team and it's actually a cricket ground. Um, which is massive here, cricket and footy, um, which is like this weird rugby soccer combination sport. Um, And so there are stadiums in New Zealand, in Australia that can hold a high capacity because for cricket matches, footy matches, um, they're doing that. And so personally, I think it's good for New Zealand. I think it's great for that visibility. I think it's great for young girls, like being able to go to this stadium and watch. Um, and I just think it's great for that national team. Like they're obviously growing They're They're trying to p- compete with the best of them. So I think that's great in terms of Australia. I actually think the men, the Socceroos, did Australia a favor. Like they made it to the round of 16. They battled um, really well in that World Cup, the most recent men's World Cup. And so I think it got people excited, um, especially because the time difference when we were watching the World Cup, the men's World Cup, 
And the actual time in Australia was terrible. Like me and my roommates woke up for that final and we woke up, I think it was 2 a.m. So like we really, it was two or four, we like really dedicated ourselves to it. And like people were in the middle of the city watching on big screens, like people woke up for that and it wasn't even Australia playing. So I think that the game is for sure growing here, especially when you have players like Sam Kerr doing amazing things over in in Chelsea. And so I think that it will be fine. Like I am not concerned at all about like camaraderie and viewership, like all of that stuff I think will be spot on. I think you're going to run into some issues. Like Australia is very isolated. I mean, you and I know dealing with the time difference, just like wanting to get on the phone and have a conversation between us and Australia and France is so difficult. I mean, like I said, we woke up super early to watch the men's world cup. So I think navigating things like that and travel in Australia is going to be like the biggest issue for teams. Like how do you think time zone is going to time zones are going to affect viewership? Like, are we going to be seeing low numbers here and hearing all these men say, I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's such a potential for in-person viewership if they get the marketing right. But yeah, talking about television and broadcast viewership is a whole different beast. Um, the time difference is actually so irritating for the two of us. <clears throat> like I'm in, it's so annoying. I'm in France and we have a 10 hour difference. And so I, I don't know. I mean, if you think about like people trying, it, it's going to be the same thing basically in reverse for you watching the men's world cup for Americans watching, watching this world cup. So I don't know. I, I, it's scary. It's scary for me because I know how impactful those viewership numbers are broadcast wise. And I'm a little concerned about that. I I think, I think in America, you, especially if the Americans are playing, I think you have people that will wake up at X hour, 2 AM to watch those games. But I don't know, being here in France or, or countries where the, the, support behind the women isn't as strong I think it could be and have a negative effect on those numbers it, it really makes me nervous yeah so then I guess you you question like who do you cater for so like and this I think goes back to the weather so if we were playing the, this world cup in summer you could not have games in the middle of the day like you just simply could not do it it would be uh-huh. way too hot like I'm talking about like 96 degree heat and yeah. so I think maybe that's part of the reason why you're having this country, these two countries host in the wintertime because you can play night games, morning games, midday games, and kind of cater to whomever is watching. Like, I wonder if that was part of the reason to hit a, like hit a time here where it's still okay. Cause right. Like I remember in, I don't remember which uh, NWSL final it was, but originally it was scheduled for 9am. And literally players were like, you've got to be kidding me. Because if you have a kickoff at 9 a.m., you're waking up at like five. Like, that's just ridiculous. And so I think like they're really going to have to find the sweet spot between players being comfortable and not having to wake up at the crack of dawn and still performing at their best. And the reverse of that, not having to stay up until midnight playing a game and managing what other countries are viewing and obviously the Australian open just happened here in Melbourne. And um, I know some matches went until like very late, like 
2 a.m. And I don't think they'll mimic that, but I do think like the players might end up sacrificing on for the sake of viewership. I think that's just what we're going to see. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that there's always trade-offs, right? So you have these players that might be sacrificing in terms of the, the level that they're playing at simply because they have to get up early or, you know, stay up late the, the day before. Um, but I, I, I really do think that for this World Cup and where we are in women's football right now, viewership is crucial and those numbers are crucial for investment purposes. Um, but... I really do think the people that are organizing this tournament are are very intelligent people, I would hope. And so I, I'm sure they're being intentional about um, times and, and time zones and things like that. But um, yeah, let's talk about the uh, the structure of, of the tournament because there was a change uh, from 24 teams to, to 32 teams. And I mean, I know my opinion on, on that, that expansion. I, I think it's great, but... Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about the the breakdown of the structure and how the tournament lays out? Yeah, so these 32 teams are going to be broken up into eight groups. And so these groups are basically fighting for the top two spots um, to move on and compete for, for the championship. And I mean, like you said, have my own thoughts on that. So after that, we're going to the knockouts. Um, and then from that, you go to the quarters, the semis, and then you have the final. Um, and, and I think the thing about this that people need to remember is that the women's game is growing differently than the men's game. I feel like constantly people are thinking, well, you know, 32 teams, the level is going to drop so much. Like you're having teams coming in for the first time, teams that will get quite frankly demolished by those top level teams. Um, and, and I think people think of that as a complete disservice. Yes. Is it the most entertaining thing to watch someone like England beat a team 6-0? No, probably not. For the, the average soccer fan or the average viewer. However, that team then can potentially make a run and develop in the next four years for the next tournament. And like, that's just kind of where the women's game is at. Like, and I feel like people often conflate the issues that people have with the women's game versus the men's game and think like the women believe we're at the same level as the men. We physically cannot be at the same level as the men's game because there hasn't been an, enough investment in growth. And so like, we're not saying it's equal, but the same way that the men's teams have had to grow. So like looking at the soccer ruse, like being in a position to like make it past the group round, like that's really important. That's really great. But like that same opportunity needs to be granted to a women's side like Haiti. Um, and so I am all about the change. Like I am for it. I think it's great to expand the game, give people the shot, like playing in the world cup is a dream. Like that is just awesome. I obviously, I played in qualifiers, um, with Guyana. I, I represent that national team and like falling short of that was gut wrenching. And on the flip side, I'm so happy for the teams that were able to make it through, like girls that are going for the first time, teams that are going for the first time. Like, even if they don't win a match, I'm sorry, but that needs to be celebrated and not looked down on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, for every footballer, World Cup is is a dream. Um, yeah, there's, there's no question about that. And I'm definitely guilty of com constantly comparing the women's game to the men's game. Um, I, I I'm trying to get better about that because I know the paths are just so different. The, the investments are so different. Um, I, I do think we can learn a few things from the men's game, obviously, but 
uh, yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. But and I know that the, for the next World Cup, the men's the number of of teams are are increasing for the men, and so we're kind of the the kids that are going to show the men what's up um, with introducing more teams into the tournament. But I think you're you're right about again. There's a trade off, right? So you have a team we saw last time, like Thailand, their first tournament. They come in, they get smashed thirteen nil. It's not it's not a great game to watch. It's really not. But I think it's a necessary burden for lack of a better word in order to increase the the efficacy of our game like i think smaller countries they need this exposure to big tournaments in order to progress i also think it has an effect on the domestic league so when you have a smaller country like thailand go they get smashed 13 nil uh, or 13 one whatever it was um you still have a country that's able to get behind those girls and that's what you need so if you don't expand expand this to 32, right? And you keep the best 24. You're only fueling those countries. You're not looking to these smaller nations and, and increasing the, the domestic development within those countries. So I, I do think there's a trade-off, but I think it's a necessary, I, I don't know, it's like molasses that we need to trudge through in order to get to the other side. Um, I think it's, it's great overall. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Um, and so, like, let's just kind of real quick group breakdown. So the hosts are in two separate groups. Um, so New Zealand is in group A, and they will deal with Norway, the Philippines, and Switzerland. Australia is in group B, where they have the Republic of Ireland, Nigeria, and Canada. Very excited for that group. Group C, we have Spain, Costa Rica, Zambia, first time in the tournament, I do believe, and Japan. Um, and then Group D is where the first time we see uh, these playoff playoff positions. Um, so Group D, Group E, and Group F are not complete. They don't have their fourth team yet. Um, so Group D has England, a team that's to be determined, Denmark and China PR, whereas US and Group E also has this scenario. So they have USA, Vietnam, Netherlands, and the Group A playoff winner. Um, group F, we have France, Jamaica, Brazil, and another playoff winner. Excited about that group as well. Group G, we see Sweden, South Africa, Italy, Argentina. And Group H is Germany, Morocco, Colombia, and Korea Republic. Abs, do you want to touch on these three group playoff winners? Um, like, what's the deal with that? Yeah, totally. Um, and and I'm really looking forward to breaking down each individual group, each individual team. I think that's going to be so fun to take a, a closer look under a microscope for those. But what we have this weekend actually coming up is the playoff tournament. So you have 10 teams competing for the last three spots. Um, this is a new tournament. Uh, we've never seen this done before. So I think it's an amazing opportunity to give those teams that you know didn't qualify the natural way to it's almost like a second chance like a wild card and so i'm really excited to see what portugal does they had a great run in the euros um i think it would be great for that country's domestic league if they go through but you also have teams like panama and chile in there um and thailand who has the opportunity to kind of get redemption from the last world cup so i those games are being played this weekend from the 17th to the 23rd and um yeah i'm super excited it's actually being played in new zealand so it gives those teams um, that do make it through kind of a leg up and playing in the in the country and getting a feel for the environment. So yeah, it's going to be great, a great thing to watch this weekend. 
Yeah. And again, I just think it, it goes to show like you have to give teams this opportunity to try to make a name for themselves, to, to try to find a way in. And obviously they are, it's not like it's just like flip of a switch. These people are going to be in, they're competing. Um, and, and so I feel like put your best foot forward, do what you can, try to make it into these groups. Obviously not an easy spot to be in. And like, it's not like any group is easy in the world cup. Like it's the best of the best, even if you're the last team to qualify. Um, there's so many teams playing so many countries playing to make it into a group at all. I think just proves like you deserve to be there. So definitely looking forward to that, going to catch a couple of those games. Um, and obviously I've already mentioned them before, but go Haiti. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. I think I'm going to go with Portugal for this for this round. I just love watching them kind of come back from games in, in the Euro. So I'm excited to see. But we'll know after this weekend. Um, and and looking ahead, like I said, I'm so excited to break down these groups. Uh, we'll be doing that in future podcasts. But right now, uh, I want to introduce a section that we'll do every single podcast. And it is called Hot takes so in our intro we promise some disagreements and i I really do promise you sydney and i disagree about most things um i know on this on this episode we actually agreed a lot but just like yeah i know not the norm we were nice to each other for the first for the first episode i think but um so in this section we'll basically give hot takes and for those of you who don't know hot take is essentially bringing up something that's controversial and disagreeing about it so um Sid, you want me to go first on this one? Yeah, go ahead. All right. I started off really light. I have so many in my head for the two of us specifically. Um, Also, our viewers, uh, we would love to hear your opinions on these things. Um, So I'll go first. Let me find it here. Okay. And there's some backstory to this one as well, Sid. Um, I personally, this, this is talking about minor injuries during games, Okay. I personally okay. think, I personally think that getting a cramp in your calf mid-game is a thousand times worse, a thousand times worse than being stepped on with someone oh with God. studs. <laughs> than being stepped on with someone <laughs> with studs. Okay. Do you okay. want me to give my reasoning first or do you want to just jump right in with your opinion? Uh Go ahead. Give your reasoning. I think I know it, but give it anyway. I mean, th- there's no question. So, like with a, with a calf cramp, once you get it, your foot is is freaking locked up. Like you can't even flex your foot. That's how locked up it is, right? It and afterwards, like your trainer comes on, massages it out, whatever. You take some salt tablets. It's still very painful throughout the rest of the game. And once it cramps once, it continues to cramps for the cramp for the rest of the game. And then once you get stepped on, yes, it hurts. Like, trust me, I've been stepped on multiple times. But I just feel like your adrenaline kicks that to the curb. And you, you don't you don't even remember it. So it's just a no-brainer for me. Cramps are way worse. Um, okay. The reason why I laughed so hard is because uh, Abby's junior year, my sophomore year, she caught the gnarliest calf cramps <laughs> in the middle of our game and was the most dramatic about it. Like end of the world you would have thought her her calves were falling off um and it's a very fond memory I don't have much experience cramping I'll be honest like I have probably cramped like maybe twice during a game in my entire career um 
it definitely is incredibly painful. Like it's, it hurts so bad. I don't know though, because I have been as a defender, just like naturally I have been stepped on so much to the point of like being in a boot after. Um, and so I don't know, like both of them, I think are play, like you can play through. I, I think you can play through both of them. Um, but just like personal experience, I I know you disagree, but I have to go with getting stepped on. Like studs uh, hurt, bro. Studs baby, hurt. Baby. Yeah, I, like it's you don't get it. You don't get it. I mean, I've been stepped on many a times, and I agree with you. I was very dramatic when I was cramping. But in terms of like playing through something, I just wholeheartedly believe that a cramp is just oh it's rough. It's rough. Just sub them out. Just sub them out. That's my opinion at that point. But see, I started off light for you. I gave you yeah. like t-ball swing, but let, hit me with yours. Yeah. Okay. So this is big conversation that Abby and I talk about all the time. We were roommates um, one year in college and Abby eats the same thing every day before a game like she has a rhythm to it and it just like works for her I however am just like yeah whatever like I'll have some pasta but I'll like have it with this and like this I do not need to eat the same thing before every game I just don't need to do it my question for you Abby do you think it's mental or do you think that like certain things you should not be eating obviously you shouldn't be eating certain things before a game like Let's just get that out there. But do you think it's more of a mental thing, pregame meals? Or do you think, like, actually scientifically, you would play completely different if you had one thing over the next because of your body, not because of your brain? Well, your brain is part of your body, first of all. But Okay, smarty pants. (laughs) Well, I, oh, man, part of me just wants to be like, uh there's a hundred percent scientific reason for what I eat and why it helps me play um and I count psychology as science so I feel like it does but oh man you're making me like admit my faults on on this (laughs) podcast so much I mean yes for I am a very particular eater I eat the same thing the French girls here make fun of me all the time for it um, I know it works for me. I, I mean, I think it's majority mental. Like I think, I think there's some science behind when you eat, um, mm. like when you're discharging that energy and like optimizing that. I do think there's some science behind that. I, I think there's some science behind what you eat. Like you obviously can't eat like Cheetos before a game. And then uh, maybe some people can, I, I really don't know. Some people but can. Some people can, but the question is, would they play better if they ate something that's better for you, like a banana or something? Um, I guess the world will never know. But, okay, so my answer. My answer for you is, I think it's 70% mental and 30% mm. like I'm fueling my body with what it needs to perform for 90 minutes. But I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I actually think that that was a good breakdown. I I have always thought that. This is more so hot take 
debunking what you have put out there for <laughs> for years. So nice to know it takes a podcast for you to finally fess up. Oh man, that this is now this is a dangerous precedent because I feel like you're just gonna take all of the things that I say with no backing and use them in the hot take section. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. But um yeah, so that's all the time that we have for our first podcast. But um so do you want to talk about future questions for our listeners? Yeah. So um, we would love to talk about what you guys want to hear. Um, obviously, we could talk forever about anything that we want, um, but we want this to be just as enjoyable for you as it is for us. Um, so if you have any questions that you want us to tackle, feel free to email us at meggedpodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Instagram at Megged Podcast. We are more than happy to interact with you, um, give give each other some hot takes. If you, if you have any suggestions, um, that can be anonymous or we can shout you out, whatever you guys prefer. Great. And so I guess we'll cap off by just going over some, some games that we're going to see this weekend. It's the international break. Super exciting. Um, we have, like we mentioned before, we have the playoff tournament. All eyes are going to probably be there, but we also have some huge tournaments elsewhere. So we have the Arnold Clark Cup, um, England's hosting that. I'll actually be in England uh, during that weekend. And then we have the She Believes Cup, a reoccurring tournament, always does well. Um, and then you have other big matchups around around the world. You have France and Norway in France. And then my eyes are really on this Nigeria-Mexico. I think it'll be a great look at the Nigerian team for the coming World Cup um, that's going to be held in Mexico. So a um, lot of games to watch this weekend and really exciting results to talk about next week. So we hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews wherever you listen to your podcasts. And join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megged.